0: Now witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational battle station.
1: All right, we are fully armed and operational tonight here in the Say What You Will radio studio. Uh, This is the John Smith Show, and I am your host, John Smith. If you want to be on the show, we're going to be talking about the debate tonight. This might be a snoozer of a show because it was a bit of a snoozer of a debate, to be honest with you. The number is 602-475-2000. If you want to call in or if you want to chat, the live chat is available as well. Well, we're going to be talking about the debate, of course, and I do have a couple other stories that I want to go over uh, if we get to them. Pelosi shuts down a reporter who asked about allegations of the corruption involving Joe Biden. She was pretty nasty to that reporter, too. Uh, we'll talk about that story. Uh, the GOP, the Grand Old Party, rushes to Feinstein's defense after her praise of Barrett hearings uh, prompted the Democratic fury. You never see that the other way around. But uh, we'll talk about that if we want. If we get there, uh, there's a women's oh, or I'm sorry, a woman's obitu- obituary. I want to tell you all about that and how ridiculous this world's becoming. Uh, There's a church in Charlotte that's connected to 68 COVID-19 cases and two deaths. We'll talk about that. Uh, How about Tucker the other night? Tucker uh, Carlson reveals uh, a letter from Chris Cuomo's building manager, scolding CNN host, for refusing to wear a mask in the building. Yeah, you know the guy that had the coronavirus. It was so terrible. Oh, it was so terrible. He had to hide in his basement for weeks. Barely recovered from it. Well, now he's walking around in his own apartment building, refusing to wear a mask. Why is that, Chris? We'll get into that conversation. Uh, Also, Americans spent more on taxes in 2019 than on food, clothing, healthcare, and entertainment combined. Do you think we need to do something about taxes in the country. I do. I mean, the last thing I want to see is our taxes go up, whether they're on my company that I work for or my own self or gasoline or food or everywhere else we pay taxes. Taxes are killing us. That's why we can't afford healthcare, if they would just get rid of the taxes that we pay and quit spending so much money in Washington DC, maybe we could afford good healthcare instead of going to a government socialized healthcare, not interested in that at all. Uh, so those are some of the stories that we'll uh, talk about, but I want to talk about mostly tonight. I want to talk about the debate and, uh, I want to hear your thoughts on the debate too, if you watched it. I did take notes throughout the entire, uh, show, if you will. And it's difficult because, um, there's so much being said it's bang, 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 bang. So, uh, I was able to take quite a bit of notes and, uh, kind of share you my thoughts on the whole debate thing, but let's get the, uh, the show started off. I actually uh, want to talk about one of my sponsors. Uh, my sponsor for this half hour is gray feather farm. Gray feather farm is a, a farm that's located in Eastern Pennsylvania. And uh, they sell all natural skincare products. And uh, there's some of the best skincare products I've ever used. I want to read you this. This is from Tracy in Arizona. She said, I love my gray feather farm skincare products. I hurt my knee, uh, tore my meniscus and the Emily's cream is fantastic. It has a mild numbing effect and reduces inflammation and therefore pain. I also got the facial serum and cream and they are great as well. Uh, both, they, they both moisturize and help with anti-aging, you know, Wrinkles. Uh, the owner Jen even sent uh, Tracy some samples as well, and it's all good stuff. So if you're looking for all natural skincare products, I cannot recommend Gray Feather Farm enough. In fact, the link to order Gray Feather Farm products is in the uh, is below the video. It's also going to be in the uh, content section in the, uh, the, uh, podcast. So check it out. If you go through that link to place an order, you, you will receive free shipping. And, uh, depending on the size, Jen might even throw in a freebie too. You never know. I don't speak for Jen, but she's a pretty good lady. So, you know, you got to use that link that's in this video. All right. So let's get to the debate. First of all, all right, I may be having some issues with YouTube, but um, bear with us. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's still cruising. Uh, But anyway, um, they started the debate off, of course, attacking Trump with the coronavirus. Now, the, you know, uh, the media will refuse to admit that it was actually Uh, I'm going to take that scrolling thing down because that doesn't line up with the show. But uh, nobody in the media is willing to recognize and be honest about the fact that there is nothing that Trump could have done to stop the Chinese virus from coming in. What he did do, he did react in February. He did stop uh, the flights coming into the United States from China. And he was called a xenophobe by the Democrats, including Biden, because he did that. We can all remember when Nancy Pelosi went down to Chinatown in San Francisco and said, there's nothing to worry about. The president is a xenophobe. Everybody needs to come down to Chinatown and shop. So we have to be honest when we talk about this. Is, was, was Trump's reaction perfect? Of course not. He's a human being. He's going to make errors. But he's doing everything he can to work on a vaccine. And he mentioned quite a few of the uh, the pharmaceutical companies that he's working with to make sure that the, the vaccine happens as quickly as possible. He would love to see it in a couple of weeks. Is that 100% going to happen? No, because here's a little secret. How many viruses have been cured cured with vaccines? The answer is none. The flu has been around for decades and so has the flu shot, but yet every year people get infected with the flu. Every year tens of thousands of people die from the flu in this country. Every single year, even though there's a vaccine for it. So who in their right mind thinks that The Wuhan flu is going to be cured. Who in this, who in the right mind thinks that Trump by himself could have possibly stopped the flu from coming in? We don't know when it got here. We really don't know. We know who the first person is that got diagnosed with it because they were looking for it. But what about months and months before that? before we knew what the Wuhan flu was, because China was hiding it. I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves. I know if you hate Trump, there's nothing that he can do, anything that's good. He is to blame for everything. Everything that's wrong in the world is Trump's fault. If you hate Trump, that's how you're going to see things and, uh, you know, there's no changing your mind. But if you're an honest person, you've got, to, you've got to be honest about it. What would you have done? What would Joe Biden have done? Biden and, and Barack Obama, they didn't stop H1N1 from coming into the country, but yet they never get called out on that. Um uh Trump was talking about the ventilators. You remember when the media and the Democrats were were talking about the shortage of ventilators and how uh people were just going to uh basically lose their breath and die. There were gonna be dead bodies all over the streets. There was gonna be two three, four million dead people laying around because Trump couldn't get the ventilators. But the truth is, if you want to be truthful. And you want to be honest about it. Ventilators were in shortage before this happened. There weren't enough ventilators in case of an emergency. Why? Because they got cut back during previous administrations. If you want to be honest about it. And I think the American people deserve to be told the truth. So Trump gets hit with a plague from China And immediately when it comes to ventilators, he starts getting some of the car manufacturers and other manufacturers to stop doing what they do. And they built supply chain to get the ventilators going. And now we supply the world with ventilators because the world isn't a free capitalist society like the United States is, and they don't have the infrastructure that we have. So instead of congratulating Trump for getting this job done and done well, they have to attack him every different direction. And this moderator, and Trump even complimented her, he was way more kind to her than I would have been. Because the moderator was not fair. The moderator continued to interrupt him. At one point, she actually muted him. He was trying to talk about his plan for health care. And she muted him and then just went right to Biden. Biden always had the opportunity to refute what uh, Trump was saying. He had the the, the opportunity for rebuttal, never interrupted. Trump was interrupted and challenged by the moderator throughout the entire debate. Even though Trump was very polite to her, he said, I really appreciate the way you're doing this because it was... It was far less aggressive than uh, than other moderators, especially Chris Wallace. That guy should never moderate a debate ever again. Um, let's see. Uh, Joe, he relied on scare tactics all night long. Uh, one of them was, uh, you're going to wake up and there's going to be an empty chair at your dinner table because of Trump. 200,000 people died because of Trump. Now, not because of the China virus because of Trump. And he used scare tactics throughout the entire, you know, and scare tactics are, uh, that's a tactic that's been used by the Democrats for, I can't even, I can't even count how many years, anytime I've ever watched a presidential uh, election cycle, They always talk about scare tactics. They always talk about starving the old people, taking away their Medicare, taking away uh, all their benefits, going after Social Security. In fact, I remember this was probably 20 years ago. I don't recall which uh, debate it was. Uh, But one of the Democrats actually was talking about the Republican trying to starve old people that your, your grandparents would be eating dog food out of a dog can dog food can because Republicans want to starve old people. This is the nonsense that's been going on from the left for decades. It's all scare tactics. You're going to lose your ability to defer, to get contraceptive You're not going to be able to get contraception. The Republicans want to take away your condoms. The Republicans want to take away this. The Republicans want to take away that. They hope you die in the streets. It's just complete idiocy. It's not accurate whatsoever. Uh, Biden did say at one point in the debate, it was early on, he said that everybody... He uh, is for everybody wearing masks all the time. He said it out of his mouth today. Everybody will be wearing masks all the time. Now, my first question is, what if you don't? What are the repercussions? Are you going to put me in jail for not wearing a mask? You said it all night that people that do drugs, they shouldn't go to jail. But you're going to put me in jail for not wearing a mask? That's the questions that need to be answered. What are you going to do to me if I don't wear a mask? I would love to know. And let me ask you this. What happens if, uh, let's say, you're a roofer down in Florida or Texas or Louisiana or Arizona. And, I don't know, it's 115 degrees out and you're working on the roof outside. And on top of that roof, let's say it's 130 degrees are you going to force those roofers to wear masks for 9, 10 hours while they're roofing? Is that your plan, Joe? What about an air conditioner uh, repairman? What about an AC guy that's got to go up into an attic here in Arizona where it's 135, 140 degrees in the attic? You can barely breathe as it is. Are you going to force them to wear a mask? For 10 hours a day while they replace an air conditioner. And what if they don't? What if they choose not to? And the homeowner calls the police on the AC guy for not wearing the mask. Because that's what you encourage too. The Democrats are encouraging people to turn on their neighbors. You know, there's just no common decency anymore. There's no decency We're turning on each other like the other is the enemy. And why is that? When did we get there as a country that we have to turn our neighbor in for not wearing a mask, for having too many people over for Thanksgiving? That's what's going on in California right now. If there's too many people at your neighbor's house, you need to call the authorities and report them for having family over for Thanksgiving. And what if they're eating their Thanksgiving dinner inside instead of outside and they're not six feet apart? What are you going to do to me? Put me in jail? You know, Joe Biden came out today and he said no one should go to jail for being a drug addict. They should just go into a, you know, a recovery. First of all, your own son is a crack addict. Your own son is on video and have and having pictures taken with a 14-year-old in provocative situations while smoking crack. That's your own kid, Joe. How come your own kid hasn't been through recovery? First of all, recovery doesn't work unless the person in recovery wants to get clean. Everybody knows that. If you've ever dealt with anybody, that has some sort of addiction to drugs or alcohol, unless they want to get clean, it's not going to happen. They have to make that decision. And even if they make that decision, there's a very good chance that they'll backslide. I have friends who have, uh, you know, family members that are addicts. And they've said the best thing that's ever happened to them is they've gone to jail because they can't, they don't get access to it. Now, unfortunately, in a lot of the jails, they do still get access to it, because the uh, prison guards bring it in, and they get it other ways, which is which is pretty sad. But uh, here's the honest to God's truth about it: people that do drugs, they don't go to jail because. They do the drugs. They go to jail or prison because they commit heinous crimes to get money to get the drugs. They're either whoring themselves out and spreading disease like AIDS to other people. Or they're stealing stuff. They're breaking and entering. And they're robbing people. They're mugging people. They're selling drugs themselves to little kids so that they can get their fix. People are getting killed over drugs. It's not the drug. It's not the drug that the use of drugs that puts you in jail. It's the crimes you commit so that you can get the money to get the drugs that you want. That's the problem, Joe. Joe didn't seem to know a whole lot about much regarding the topics to in tonight's debate. Uh, the moderator was debating Trump all night. I talked about that. It just happened over and over and over again. The moderator continued to interrupt Trump and said, but this, but you know, but Mr. President, but and just kept interrupting. And every question she asked was an attack towards Trump. And every every question she asked uh, Biden was pretty much a softball. I didn't see any, any type of attacks. And they certainly avoided the whole Hunter Biden situation. The whole Hunter Biden situation was avoided. Now, Trump tried to bring it up a couple times, but the moderator continued to shut it down. So it's pretty hard. Again, it's pretty hard for Trump to make a point or win a debate when he's got two against one and there's a mute button. Pretty, uh, pretty difficult. Um, Biden introduced a new word that we're going to be hearing for the rest of uh, the, uh, the next uh, couple weeks until, until the debate is, or until the election's over, or maybe even, you know, if Trump wins, it'll even go into next year. Uh, but that term is a dark winner we're going to have a dark winter because of trump and uh in regards to the coronavirus it's going to be a dark winter now that was clearly a term that was created by probably a hollywood screenwriter somewhere or an advert- advertising agency but they came up with that word and i'm sure they tested that word in small small doses in fact i'm going to do a dark uh winter search a web search And uh, see when that term was first introduced. But we're going to be hearing that now by the major uh, media outlets. Until the election's over. It's a dark winter. It's going to be a dark winter. We're in the middle of a dark winter. Pathetic. Man, and what a negative outlook Biden has throughout this entire debate. It was so negative. And it was so full of fear tactics. It was unbelievable. Uh, Trump had a pretty good line. He said, we can't lock ourselves up in the basement like Joe does. I thought that was pretty solid. You know, we have to go out and we've got to open up the economy. We can't just continue to bail everybody out and continue to take government checks over and over and over again. We've got to reopen the economy. We've got to learn how to live with the coronavirus. If you're terrified of the coronavirus or you find yourself in an age group where you're susceptible, then you've got to stay home. But you can't force the entire world to stay home. You can't force all the kids to not go back to school ever again and learn from home because listen, it's not working. You can talk to parents with these little kids. They're not learning anything online. My son's girlfriend, they're raising a little boy, and he's in school this year. It's his first year. He's a kindergartner. He started off the year online. And he was extremely bored. He wasn't paying attention. He wasn't interested whatsoever. Then he actually... They opened the school here and now he's in school. And every single day he comes home, he tells uh, my son and his mother about everything that he learned while in school. And he is doing amazing. He even calls us uh, once or twice a week and shares with us everything that he's learning and all the friends that he's making. None of this would happen online. We cannot keep the schools closed, it's ridiculous. We've got to learn how to cope with the COVID shutting the world down for the rest of our lives and walking around with the masks on our face for the rest of our lives is not the solution. That's a band-aid. It It is not the solution. We've got to come up with better ideas. We've got to get the economy open. We've got to get the schools open. We've got to start making some better decisions. And that's why Trump said, look, we can't all lock ourselves in a basement like Joe does. Good, uh, good quote. Uh, we can't close up our nation or we won't have a nation. That was another very good quote by the president tonight. Uh, Jennifer says, sorry, I'm late. Uh, Bob is actually up for now listening. Oh, hey, Bob. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're here as well, Jennifer. Jennifer is the owner of the, uh, gray feather farm, which we talked about at the top of the hour. So welcome, uh, welcome to the chat, Jen. Did you happen to watch the debate? That's what uh, we're talking about tonight is kind of the debate kind of interested in what your thoughts were and your feelings about the debate. I know we talked a little bit off air kind of about the, the constant interruptions, but, uh, you know, what did you think? What were your, what was your overall thought? I'm curious to know. And you too, Bob. Uh, What else happened? Uh, The American people will have an empty seat at the dinner table. That was Joe's quote. I think I mentioned that earlier. Uh, What a negative outlook. What a negative outlook. Unbelievable. Just talking about just scaring all American families. I, I work with people that are just absolutely Absolutely terrified of the virus. They lived their entire life in fear. In fact, uh, one of the guys I work with, his neighbor up the street was having a birthday party for their kid, right? The neighbor was. Well, the guy I work with, he doesn't let his kids go out. Doesn't let them do anything. They can't go to the playground. They can't play with friends. They can't do anything. They're just stuck in the house. They're not allowed to do anything. And meanwhile, up the street, his neighbors having a birthday party for their kid, and they got one of those big blow up uh, bounce houses, and all the kids in the neighborhood were over there playing. And oh, we got a we got a caller calling in. Go ahead, you're on the air. Oh, one second. All right, go ahead, you're on the air. Am I? Yeah, I hear somebody there. Is this Jen? It is. All right, you'll have probably have to turn down the just because of the, the uh, delay.
2: Right, actually, I just turn it off for you so that I can and speak and hear what i'm saying yeah there you go so uh, <laughs> i i really hope i didn't interrupt what you were saying you know I, you know i hate to interrupt no you're, you're not interrupting things. at all not at all <laughs> 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 so you had asked what i thought about the debate now you know bob had just come in kind of late and i was filling him in and he was we were you know, watching some Fox News and CNN and, and their, you know, excerpts on it. And uh, I was extremely, um, I, I think that overall the debate was, um, it was well done as far as no one um, speaking over each other, interacting maybe as the first one.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, I think the moderator did well in controlling it. However, I do think that uh, when I'm, I'm starting now, you know, see some other news stories, how many times Trump was actually interrupted, not given the time that Biden was given, was extremely uh, appalling. And you could see in his expression, you know, there were, there were times I could see in his face saying, I'm the president. <laughs> and not that that could give him this, you know, ultimatum, you know, of of in a debate. However, there was there was an element of disrespect, I think, that he wasn't given the same time as Biden, who mm-hmm. is the opposing <clears throat> candidate. Right. So um, that was a little disappointing, I have to say. Yeah, uh, we're talking about what was she a you know, this information probably more than I do. What was this moderator? Where did she come from? Is she a CNN personality? Uh,
1: You know, I don't know. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I want to say. Well, I'm not sure. I think she was NBC. I think she's an NBC reporter. I I don't know for sure. She's one of the big networks, but uh, her husband has very close ties to the democratic party. I think, uh, and, and again, I believe that, yeah, I know. Right. I believe that, uh, he is the one who actually worked for the Al for Al Gore. And he, he helped try to run Al Gore's campaign. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's, that's the story, but she was clearly, uh, she had this condescending. Okay. Like, Okay. Okay. Okay, when Trump was trying to finish or make a point, she kept going. Okay, okay. She never did that once to Biden.
2: Exactly. You know, and I think you know we're never going to see it. You no. know, one of the other networks. Um, I think that as soon as, and that's why I was late joining a show. I really wanted to see the closing comments uh, from the different, um people who were viewed on Fox, you know, I watched this debate from a CNN um broadcast. However, I did go right to Fox, and I wanted to see what Dana Perino and um, the others that were on there, and, they, and then they have a very, very broad board, you know, as far as, I can't remember exactly the names of every individual, but, you know, they have Bruce Hume. They had uh, Dan O'Brien. They had uh, you know a couple other members.
1: Probably Brett Bear. I would assume were, uh, Brett Bear was
2: there. Brett Bear, exactly, and um, a couple of you know the Democratic. Um, I forget uh, a one.
1: Juan Williams, yeah. Yes,
2: yeah, Juan Williams, and I forget the. Was Donna
1: Brazil guy. there?
2: Yes, yeah, she was. Okay, she was. Um, so I, you know, and and I think that that's a very uh, fair, you know, uh, panel be commenting and, well, I, and it is. we're not saying on the other network
1: no that's a that's and, a very important point because you don't get it's so funny because just because uh fox news isn't in the you know in the bag for the democratic party they're considered to be this far right-wing news station and that's not it at all if you want to find a, a right-wing news station there's plenty of them out there as far as websites and things like that go. But Fox News has been, in my opinion, like right down the middle. They're very fair about it. Donna Brazil is is about as far left as you can get in the media.
2: Absolutely. Now, I will say, though, and I'm, I'm going to kind of hand this over to Bob because I think he has a lot of good viewpoints about when it comes to Hannity. Look, we used to be. Um, diehard Hannity and, um, you know, Bill O'Reilly viewers. Mm -hmm. But we started to see, you know, with the last election that, you know, Fox was becoming just as far right as you know, the CNN and the MSNBC were as far as being far left. So, you know, we kind of sort of backed off of that and we do agree that, you know, know, Hannity can be quite far right. Mm -hmm. However, I do think that you know, tonight we get a really good panel on? So I think, you know, Bob has really a lot of good comments with that. Yeah.
1: And I would say just to, to kind of dovetail on that Hannity is a conservative pundit. He's not, he doesn't pretend to be a reporter. He is an That's opinionated true. guy, you know? And Absolutely. so is Tucker Carr. Hey, Bob, how you doing by the way?
3: Good. How you doing?
1: Good. And you know, Tucker is the same way. Hannity's the good same good. way. And, uh, the lady after Hannity is the same way. Um, they don't pretend to be journalists. They're pundits. Uh, on the other hand, over at either MSNBC or CNN uh, or the, you know, New York times, the Washington post, uh, all those, they all pretend that they're journalists,
3: but they're pundits,
1: but they are, they are left-wing pundits and they're just as exactly. far left as, you know, Hannity is right. Uh, but they, they, you know, they're just not, they're just disingenuous, you know, that, uh, that one reporter from CNN, uh, I, I can't think of his name right now. He's the, uh, Hispanic guy and he's always going at Trump. He, he pretends to be a journalist, the white house correspondent. He is as left wing as they come.
3: And I think he's just looking for media attention in all that Quite frankly,
1: it could be, you know, he loves it. He loves the, uh, he definitely loves the attention, but, uh, he constantly refers him, refers to himself as, uh, you know, a journalist and it's just not, it's just disingenuous. It's, it's not, not true. Yeah, it's not true. Not true.
3: The, the one thing that I've really noticed is that the democratic party just doesn't have any respect for the office unless it's their guy in the office.
1: Right. No, that's a, that's a great point. You know, if you remember back in the 1980s, if you remember how Tip O'Neill treated Ronald Reagan, it was disgraceful. Yep. And if you remember Sam Donaldson, he was the white house correspondent for ABC at the time. And he was always disrespectful to Ronald Reagan. And it just doesn't happen the other way because you know, they're, because they control the narrative, they control the media. So they can get away with being that way. Yep. You know, and if you come out and if you really kind of go after Barack Obama, well, then they throw the racism card out there.
3: And then they yeah, control and they defend the, it by respecting the office, which they don't do in return.
1: Right. Exactly.
2: So, John, you know, now that we have Bob on, it's so rare that you're going to have him on at this time of night <laughs> i think that you know if there's any kind of questions you know that you have in regards to you know this whole anything regarding what's going on you know ask away you know he has a, a lot of good really amazing opinions which i think that you and he would have
3: an enjoyable conversation over.
1: <laughs> definitely yeah well,
3: one one thing one thing that I wanted to say you know I have I know a lot of people who just I guess they they chafe at Trump style and his tweeting and his mannerisms and things like that and, and I gotta say you know there are behaviors that I'm like wow egomaniac <laughs> um just just things that I personally wouldn't do and I don't respect in general mm-hmm. but at the end of the day you really need to be voting for the party's platform right
1: absolutely and,
3: and i i don't have any recollection of the government taking over something and it turning out better than it was before absolutely. you know and so you just need to look and say wait a second the democratic party's about big government the republican party's about small government I mean, we even have examples of stimulus checks. Our son got a stimulus check and he wasn't even really working. (laughs) We're like, wow, his check comes in the mail to him. He's an 18-year-old boy and he's like, wow, this is awesome. Well, yeah. I don't think there's anybody, I I bet every family has stories of, wow, why did they get a stimulus check? Why didn't this family get a stimulus check? That's right. And, And it's It all smacks of why would you want the government to be involved in more things than they are now? And if you're voting for the Democratic Party, that's what you're voting for.
1: Yeah, and that that all stems back to uh, class warfare. Hey, Bob, let me uh, let me just take 30 seconds. I got to squeeze in a commercial real quick. I'll be right back. Okay. hello, friends. This is Ranger Rob. And I'd like to talk to you about dog poop. That's right. Dog poop. I invented Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags, a very large bag with handles. My bags support large and small dogs and smell like lemon. They are strong and affordable. You can find Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags at Amazon. They come in sheets or in rolls and come with a dispenser. Once you try Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags, you'll never want to go back. So, come join us, go to Amazon, and try Ranger Rob Pet Poopy Bags today. All right. You're tuned into The John Smith Show right here on Say What You Will Radio. Uh, I got Bob and Jen on the line. We're talking about the debate tonight. We're kind of talking about um, big government versus small government right now. And uh, I want to get back to this conversation because it's extremely important uh, that we really talk about the difference between a Joe Biden presidency and a Trump uh, uh, presidency. So let's uh, let's bring our callers back on. Bob, you still there? I am. All right. Perfect. Now, we were talking about, you were, well, you were talking about <clears throat> small government, big government, and why in the world would we want government, more government intrusion in our lives? And I think the answer to that is all based on a kind of class warfare and uh, where this, the Democratic Party has been able to convince their base that the country is unfair, the world is unfair, Uh, now it's all systematically racist, right? So if you are a person of color, uh, the world is stacked against you. The country is, they would, they would rather just arrest you or beat the crap out of you than let you succeed. And they're spreading this notion of lies. So I think the people that vote for them, their base really looks to the government as an equalizer. And, uh, that's really, I did a piece on, um, on the critical race theory uh, uh, maybe a week and a half ago. And I've been learning more and more about it. And that's really what this is about. It's about equity, not equality. And there's a difference. Equity is when you force things to be fair. So let's say you have a guy that runs extremely fast and then you got a kid who, you know, just sits around and uh, eats cheeseburgers all day and doesn't exercise. Well, the dude that's in great shape and really worked to get there is going to beat them in a race, right? That's, we just know that's going to happen. So what equity does is equity says, okay, well the, the racetrack for the fat slob, his racetrack is only going to be 10 feet long. And the guy that's in good shape, he's got to run 300 feet so that, you know, the fat lazy kid can, can, can win every now and again. And they're making it impossible. So no matter how hard somebody works to achieve something, they're implementing this equity. And it's it's forcing the, uh, the people that just don't, uh, you know, they're not equipped to be uh, IT professionals.
3: Well, it's rewarding mediocrity.
1: There you go. That's exactly it's
3: encouraging people to keep going down paths that they may not be gifted in right which which i think is wrong you know it's like the, the the ideal job is something where you're gifted and passionate and everybody has gifts everybody has passions and it's finding the alignment of both it's to really go where you want to go
1: right you know you know
3: look at professional sports they don't uh, have handicaps in a professional golf tournament, it's straight up. I don't get two strokes just because I'm worse than somebody All right. in a professional golf tournament. All right. so, so why would, why would they try to do something that really doesn't imitate real life?
1: You know, it's, yeah, because what they want to try to do is they want to try, just try to try to hold, like take the system down just one brick at a time. And that's really what it's about. It's people that you know. This goes way beyond uh, even maybe our understanding. There are people that that are involved in damaging the United States that uh, they just despise what the United States stands for, and so they'll they'll try to do everything they can to wreck the country. You know, my my daughter, she's in, uh, she's going to um, architecture school, and. I'm not an architect. My wife's not an architect. We have no architects in the family. So she d- she chose that path for many different reasons, but it has been nothing but an uphill climb for her. Now, there are kids that are in her class. They're not, I wouldn't say they're any more intelligent than she is, and they don't have a, a better work ethic than she does. But because they're maybe second or third generation architects, they have a hand up. Now, am I mad about that? No, of course not. Because if I, if I could give that information down to my daughter to make her life easier, I would do it. But you can't punish the kids, you know, the, the second, third generation architect, you can't punish them. You can't make school harder for them just because their parents were architects or their grandparents were architects. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to uh, they're trying to take it away from, um, you know, skill. It's not based on how hard you work or how much you know. It's let's base it on fairness. Yep. You know, there's I not agree. enough people of color in architecture school, so we got to kick out <laughs> a couple of these architect students that that happened to be Caucasian. We got to get rid of them so that we can bring in people of color. And then we know what, what happened because it happened back in the eighties and nineties, these kids that went to these schools that shouldn't have been failed out. Yep. And the kids that got bumped, you know, they ended up having to go to a different school or they didn't go, you know, they weren't able to do what they wanted to do. And that's, that's outrageous or what they were equipped to do, not what they wanted to do.
3: Well, John, one of the things that I think about a lot is that when I was a kid, and, and you're about my same age. um much younger. <laughs> who's much younger? <laughs> He's much younger. Is he really? Kids. Okay, never mind. Sorry, John. No, Please, well, I don't know.
1: Ahead. I don't know how old you are, Bob. I'm 49. I'm I can't be 30, that Albert. Oh, 53. four years, four so years. Not,
3: that doesn't sound much younger. Come no. on. <laughs> Um, he's not even fifty yet. Well, yeah, but he's 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 touching the door. That's so right. So I remember my grandparents were Democrats, and at that point in time, when I was a young teen, the Democratic Party was the party of the blue collar worker. They were the party of that middle class, and really represented it. It was pretty prominent and. Rampant, I guess, democratic support amongst the family members that I knew and the friends of those families. And what strikes me now is that it seems to be the party of those at both ends of the spectrum, the super rich and the super poor. And it's like almost the party of those that don't have to support and worry about whether or not they can support their family. You know, either mm-hmm. they're getting all the support from the government or they're so stinking rich that it doesn't matter. Right. And, and it's almost kind of just reversed itself. The middle has become the party of the Republican Party. Although that's yeah. where also all of the, the, the people in the middle are too. And that's the key group for this election.
1: Yeah, I know. I agree with that you know, it's funny because they always talk about the democratic party being the party for the working class. And, and I think it's not true. No, I think you're exactly right. I think, I think that switched back in the eighties. I think when the, when the Reagan uh, revolution took over and uh, taxes were lowered and the economy just started taking off, people in the middle class were like, Hey, we're doing good. You know, we're, we We got money coming in. We're employed. We're not paying a ton of money out to the tax, you know, taxes and the country's in great shape. So I think that kind of took a turn then. um, Because people started recognizing too that the the unions had become corrupt, right? The unions just had become another. They had their day. They had their day, but they became a branch of the democratic party. In fact, you couldn't be part of, a a union, unless you were a registered Democrat for many, many, you know, generations, that's the way it was. But, uh, these union workers, they finally were like, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to vote Republican. And, and, you know, so things started changing there and, uh, let's look at Hollywood. Hollywood has more money than anywhere else in the world. And, 95% of them are liberal Democrats, right? And they have so much money. They throw so much money into uh, out-of-state races. In fact, they were dumping a ton of money into the Beto O'Rourke race when he was running against Ted Cruz for Senate. They were trying to get Ted Cruz out of there, and just millions and millions of dollars were going into the Republican race from Hollywood. They do that all the time.
3: But they're And they're so out of touch. They have never been in a situation where they're like, wow, I make just a little bit too money, much money to get any help for college from my child. And I'm worse off than these parents who have not worked and their kid goes to college for free. <laughs> right. you know, They have never been in that situation. They no. don't understand what we're talking about when we're like, wow, you just keep squeezing us.
1: No, they, they really don't. And then when you look at someone like Joe Biden himself, you know, Trump was right in, in the, uh, uh, debate tonight when he said, you've got houses all over the place. You've been in government work for the past 47 years and you're a millionaire and you've got houses all over the place. He, how in the world can someone like Joe Biden relate to someone like you and me?
3: Right.
1: Impossible. It's not going to happen. He's paling around I mean, with people that are multi millionaires. They fly all over the world. Whenever they want to fly all over the world, they do whatever they want to do and they're never held accountable. They they he talks about growing up in Scranton. Like yeah. you know, like he was some uh, blue collar worker trying to survive over in Scranton. Yeah. Give me a
3: delivering brave. pieces or something, but yeah.
0: John, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: I have to ask you a question. Yeah, go ahead. You know, we have Uh, You know, we've lived in New Mexico. Uh, Bob has lived in New Mexico longer than I have. Uh, You're in Arizona now. And uh, I have lived in California. Um, I don't know if you're really aware, but, you know, I've worked in the prison system for eight years. So um, I've seen a lot of different things in regards to the Latino community. And, uh, Bob has a lot of experience with, uh, you know, the American Indian community. Um, you know, in regards to you in Arizona, now, you know, we're Pennsylvania again. So we don't have that, that base of where, where is that uh, demographic standing in your state? You know, we're, I believe Bob maybe disagrees with me a little bit. I believe that the African-American community is supporting Trump a little bit more this year uh, in regards to the election. I don't know, you know, as before with the Obama and Hillary, you know, kind of election with Trump, Latino America was, you know, supporting Hillary a little bit more. Mm
1: -hmm. What is
2: your state looking like? What do you see with the different demographics?
1: Well, it depends on...
2: As opposed to, like, the eastern states.
1: It depends on, and kind of going back to what Bob was saying, it kind of goes back to uh, what generation Latino they are. If they're first generation, in other words, if they first, if they came here from Mexico, uh, now Arizona has a very high rate of uh, undocumented Mexicans, right? Uh, Those, they shouldn't be voting, right? Let's hope. Let's hope they're not voting. But, They have a lot of family members here. And so the family members are terrified because of the press. They're terrified that Trump is going to round them all up and send them back to Mexico. So they're very scared of Trump because of the misinformation. Right?
0: We still
3: feel that. No, yeah. The the first generation is definitely afraid of Trump because they believe the media that he's just out to throw them back to the country they came from.
1: That's right. And then you have some... So any
2: of the changes that you've seen that Trump has done, like I said, I'm not... We're not in those, you know, southern states anymore. Um, you know what he said in the debate tonight with, you know, building the wall, and yes, we want we want the you know immigrants to come in. We want them to come in legally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't that's... know what's going on really in the southern states because we're so east coast. What have what's been the changes that you've been seeing? your
3: state uh well but, we but oh, go I ahead i gonna say i mean that's just a small voice compared to the media barrage they hear right that is skewed to instill terror
1: we have a family friend um he's he's a second generation his uh he he grew up with my son uh now his parents are first generation and uh they are anti-trump as long, you know, as the day is long, because they're afraid that their friends and relatives are going to be rounded up and shipped back to Mexico or, you know, the country they came from. Now, their son who, you know, grew up with Logan, he's not so, uh, he's kind of like, I, I want to I support Trump, but my my family is so against them. So he's kind of caught, but I, you know, you can see him wanting to support Trump because he, he goes out and he works and he realizes he, you know, he looks at his paycheck and he sees how uh, like the amount of taxes that are taken out of his check. And uh, you know, he, he's for law and order. He wants, he wanted to be a cop at one point, you know, so he's a law and order guy and he sees the madness. He sees all the riots that are, that are going on and people tearing down the statues and trying to destroy history. And like, you know, he sees through it but when you're terrified and you're worried that uh, you know your family's going to be rounded up and put in put on trains and shipped back to mexico that's that's a big fear and that's kind of goes back to what i was talking about about this whole debate that's all joe biden did he came in tonight to try to scare the pants off of everybody everything sure. that he does is scare tactics you know you're going to have uh, an empty uh, you know table setting at the dining room table because of Trump. There's going to be someone in your family is going to die and you're going to be sitting at the dinner table by yourself, you know, if you elect Trump again.
2: I think that Trump did a really good job tonight by, um, you know, pointing to the fact that, okay, well, Obama administration have put these, you know, illegal immigrants in cages. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was true. Yeah, that was a great part of it. Yes. I think that was a great point that he made. I do believe that as Trump came into administration, you know, he was, as he pointed out in the debate, was left with this situation to really try to fix. And, yes, families were separated. I, you know, believe that ICE and everybody, you know, like I said, we've lived in New Mexico. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Um, We understand, you know, the, the issue there. As many others do in the you know midwestern states. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to go back to what you said about you know your son Logan. Oh, hold and on one second, Jen. Jen, I, about- I, I just have
1: to I just have to end the show for a Good Talk Radio real quick. So uh, those of you who were listening on Good Talk Radio, thanks for listening. Thanks for always being here. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, this will be the end of the show for now but if you want to hear the rest of our conversation with Jen um and uh, her husband I want to uh, let you know that you can go to saywhatyouwillradio.com and catch the rest of the show uh but until tomorrow uh thank you for listening god bless and take care stay tuned uh for more programming on uh, good talk radio all right we can continue
2: well, I, I want to go back to what you were saying about Logan. Mm-hmm. You know, he is at the age the same age of our oldest son, Bennett. Now, you know, when Bennett was uh, at UNM, he was all Obama.
1: <laughs> Most was, college kids are, so right?
2: you think about, you know, that age at that time, is something new, it's a change and blah, blah, blah. And now that he is uh, literally just turned 30 in September, his whole ideal has changed. And of course he, he agrees with the same thing that we do, that maybe not everything that, you know, he says or what he does is maybe presidential, but it's right. And sure. he's also in business. So what do you see with your kids as they grow older? Are they you know, I, I'm guessing from a conservative family, they're always going to be conservative. We've, we've learned that we've, we've raised five children that have gone liberal. <laughs> and, uh, you know, some now are, are starting to go to that. Oh, wow.
3: Okay. I would say we have four out of five are conservative. now.
2: Well, four you know, five. there's yeah,
3: an
1: old saying I'm that says if you're young and you're not a liberal, you have no heart. But if you're older and you're not a conservative, you have no brain. So I think Churchill. that, you know, I think yeah, that just happens.
3: That, yeah, right. What's that? That's that's Winston Churchill.
1: It might have been, yeah. I I am not good with names, but uh, I I always remember the the quote, but I don't remember who said it. But I I would say this. I think a lot of kids, because they get in, inundated with liberalism in college, I think that just is going to happen. Um, now, my daughter, she is. My daughter is just who she is. She believes what she believes and she's not real vocal about uh, politics, but she does. She looks at Joe Biden and she's like, dad, he can't even put two sentences together without bumbling and stumbling. And she's like, who in the world would vote for this guy? You know, um, is she a huge Trump fan? I don't, I don't know, but you know, it's, she knows who she doesn't like and, uh, I would say she's probably more conservative. Uh, she's got a lot of friends who are not. And, uh, she just agrees not to talk politics. You know, she's got a ton of friends in college who are, who are very strong, strongly anti-Trump. And she's like, you know what? I would rather be your friend than talk about politics. So let's just agree not to talk about politics. And, uh, that's kind of how it goes. Now, my son, he's very conservative. He, um, his girlfriend is very conservative too. She's like huge into politics, but uh, I don't know. I, I think I see a lot of hope for the younger generations. I really do because I think people, I think the younger generations just want to be free and left alone and they don't see that from the left.
3: Well, well, I think one of the things that the younger generation has going for it too is that they didn't grow up with the major networks. You know, they have learned to get their media from all kinds of online sources, and I think they're a little bit more adept at ferreting um, out what really is impartial versus, yeah. you know, spun from the beginning.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a lot. That's a good point. I think there's a lot of truth to that.
3: They they also, I mean, they grew up speaking tech which has been a second language for all of
1: us. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, you know, I mean, if you're a younger person, you've got to look at Joe as just being completely out of touch. Don't you think? I mean, yeah, can you relate? Like if through my daughter's eyes, I can't imagine anybody relating to him and wanting to vote for him. Now, I, I can understand not liking Trump and wanting to vote against Trump. I get that. Uh, but wanting to actually support in a positive way, like, yeah, Joe is my guy. That's who I, I – I just don't see that. And uh, I don't know.
3: Maybe if you had a great relationship with your grandfather or something like that. I mean, <laughs> he's a likable guy. Yeah. I thought they should have used him when Hillary was the candidate. But, you know, they didn't. Mm-mm.
1: Yeah, I was uh, – he – he was going through, uh, Bo's death at that point. I think, I think he exactly. was, exactly. Yep. yeah, that was kind of the situation there. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. As far as, I think the younger generations, you know, we we have the millennials and the millennials are a, a completely different breed, but I think the, the, uh, the generation behind the millennials, I think they're going to be a little bit more because they remember they're growing up with Trump, right? You think about like someone that was in fourth grade when, when Trump got elected uh, you know, they're now in eighth grade or maybe they, maybe a better example is they were in eighth grade and now they're seniors. So throughout their very impressional moments of their life, they are seeing a president who's tweeting and who's a little bit more coherent and a little bit, you know, more hip and funny and, you know, (laughs) entertaining, you know, because they want to be entertained all the time. Trump is an entertaining guy, whether you like him or not, he's an entertainer. And uh, so I, I see that generation, um, just being a little bit
3: more
1: Gen Z. Yeah. Yep.
3: Do do you know what the, what they consider to be the cutoff for uh, millennials versus Gen Z?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think the cutoff right now, because my son was very towards the end, and he's 26 now, so he's a younger millennial. Uh, so I think it couldn't be much, much younger than that I, before the. the yeah, ge- I
3: think it's 24, and and what they consider the cutoff are those that can actually remember 9/11, versus oh, okay. those that have no memories of it.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good point because my son, I think he was five. Let's see, nine, that was two thousand one, and he was born in uh, ninety four, so he would have been seven. Wow, I didn't realize he was that old. Yeah, he would have been seven. Uh,
3: but he has stark memories of it then.
1: Oh, he does. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because we sat, we were actually on uh, vacation down at Nag's Head, and uh, we spent the that day just watching the TV. You know, and he was too young to go to the beach by himself or do anything like that. So he sat in with us and my daughter at the time, uh, she would have only been two. So she would have no recollection of it whatsoever.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I never we, heard it said have, that way. That's cool.
3: Our, our two uh, youngest, um, they, they, they weren't even born. So they have no recollection, right? Actually, our three
0: youngest—they
3: don't really remember it. So, yeah. Wow. It's a pivotal event. You know, I was old enough that I can actually remember when the moon landing happened. Oh, wow. I was very young, but I remember my parents talking about it, and and I remember thinking, "Aren't those guys going to get eaten by monsters?" Yeah. You were too young. You weren't even born yet.
1: No, I was born in seventy one. So it was what yeah. sixty nine exactly. when that happened. Yeah.
3: Yeah, sixty-nine is when it happened. I was born in sixty seven. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. And then that's probably uh now what what generation? Are you a Gen X? Yes. Okay, yeah, so am I. Okay, so yeah, we're the Reagan kids, right? I mean, we basically, yep, exactly, we were raised exactly. with Ronald Reagan, and I think we're also the ones that are raising now the Gen Zers, you know, so uh, there might be a correlation with that as well. I, I don't know, you know.
3: I actually got to see Ronald Reagan one time. I was at boot camp, and he came to speak to us while we were at boot camp. Oh, really? It was, it was fascinating. I mean, he is just so recognizable, you know, just yep. such a unique, um, larger than life. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. was literally probably 75 feet from him. Oh, that's awesome. Mesmerized sitting there watching. him.
1: I grew up watching, um, a political television. Cause that's what all my dad watched was the news, you know, over and over and over again. And, uh, I'll never forget Sam Donaldson. I, uh, Ronald Reagan, was walking across the White House lawn to get into a Marine one. He was, he was going somewhere and Sam Donaldson yelled at him. He said, you know, he said, president Reagan, all you seem to do is blame the Democrats for everything. Is anything ever your fault? And he looked at Sam. He said, well, Sam, yes, indeed. A lot of things were my fault because I used to be a Democrat and it just floored like, Sam Donaldson, like, didn't know what to say to that. It was like, because he was that, he just thought on his feet, and he was such an eloquent speaker, and you just had to love him. You know, people well, loved
3: him. Was, unlike Trump, he was just even so nice to people who were being idiots to him. Yeah. And and there there is such uh, humility and... I don't know, patience, grace. I don't even know what all of the fruits of the spirit are <laughs> present in somebody who can just do that. who can just be lambasted by somebody and turn around and be nice to them.
1: Yeah. Now he, I mean, he, he fought back, but he fought back in a different way.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: Right? With, with uh, humility. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. Humility yep. and grace. You know, you remember Mondale, yeah. he said, uh, um, something about, uh, I'm not, Something about age. Oh, they, they asked him in the, uh, they asked him in the debate against Mondale and they said, Ronald Reagan, you know, should age be considered, you know, something considered in this debate. And Reagan said, well, I'm not going to hold my opponent's youth against him." You know, it was just, (laughs) it was brilliant. You know, I
2: I think my favorite video is when he's what in Germany and this was after he was shot and, uh, he's, and did that beautiful, amazing speech, and a balloon had popped in the audience. And in the dead of his speech, he stopped, and he said, miss me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he kept on going with absolute precision, and just great. I think yeah. the word for Ronald Reagan was grace. And I yeah. have to tell you, John, you know, my grandparents, and, you know, we were talking about Democrats. My grandfather was always a Democrat. And until Reagan came along, that's when he changed. And he absolutely adored Reagan and supported him financially. Oh, wow. So much that on their 50th anniversary, this is back in the day when this stuff actually happened. My grandparents' 50th anniversary, he received a letter from Ronald Reagan signed.
3: Oh, that's, that's awesome. A- yeah, Is yeah. That's still in the family? Still yeah.
2: It. I I don't know who has it, but somebody has it. It's still <laughs> it's still there. Signed letter congratulating them
3: on their fiftieth anniversary. Well, I'm I'm blanking on the Bible verse, but it goes something like, "Be kind to your enemies; it will keep hot coals into their lap."
1: Yeah, no, you're right. It says, um, "It says you know love, you know anyone can love." their family members and love their you know love those who love them back but be kind and love your enemies because it is like dumping a heap of coal on their head
3: yeah
2: it, it's the also the whatever the verses that uh keep your friends close but keep your enemies closer
3: i don't think that's a bible verse but <laughs> no, it's, a, no no no, i didn't,
2: didn't recite it was a thing. bible verse right. i was just <laughs> yeah. saying that. Okay. <laughs> In, in the same respect, you keep your enemies closer. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: You, you know? know,
2: and I remember my uncle, you know, Diana, husband, Jack always said, be kind, always be kind, even if they Kill them, with, kind. Kill Kill them him with, with kindness. Kill them with kindness. The yeah. And you're see. Always going, you're going just? you're going to stymie them. Trump. Kill them with kindness.
1: Trump being a New Yorker and being in the real estate, you know, being a real estate mogul and being the type of business person he is he's just not that way. You know, he's, that's not in his DNA. His his DNA is to fight back. You hit me. I'm going to hit you 10 times harder back. That's just the way he operates. And I know a lot of people don't like that about him, but I think this kind of goes full circle back to what uh, Bob was saying is that, look, um, you may not like the way he responds to people. You may not like his tweets. Um, but, at the end of the day, it comes down to what does he believe in? What does he stand for? What's his ideology? And uh, I don't know if he has an ideology, but he is all about the country being a better economic machine. Whatever that looks like.
2: I think the the ultimate thing is about him is that he's showing his humanity. Mm -hmm. That look, Every single human being, you may not always like what they say. You may not always like what they believe, but he pulls no punches. He's going to say what's on his heart. He wears his heart his sleeve.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I don't agree with all of it. I think he could be, you know, oh, God, you know, sometimes I cringe. <laughs> but that, that's what's human about him. And I think that we've lost that in politics. We've lost that in our government because right. we're so used to seeing the perfect display, polished yeah. presentation of what we'd like to hear.
1: No, you're exactly right, and you could see no that with no
2: substance and without humanity, without being real. And that is what is ultimately happening to our country. Yep, that we are being forced. To um, have political correctness, we started that in the 80s. We are forced to accept everybody's views and opinions, uh, even Mm -hmm. if it's different from ours. And uh, it's forced down our throat, and we're not being allowed to have any kind of conjecture or, um, you know, compromise. Or debate about it. There's right. no free speech left. No. And we're being forced. And that is that is what is rubbing the rest of the country so raw.
1: Yeah, and that's the young... With Donald
2: the, Trump, because yeah. he is being real. He's being himself. He's not being a politician.
1: No, and the younger generation is starting to uh, wake up to that, because they don't want to be canceled because they I, I have a different. I don't
2: think they are being woken up to that at all. I think they're just being. I still think that they're being brainwashed. I, I'm not sure that they're being woken up to that.
1: I think. Uh, I think portions of the younger generation are waking up to it because they're they're seeing the the millennial generation. They see them as such weaklings, and they're like, you know, no, I'm going to have a different opinion, and if you don't like it, go pound salt. I don't care what you think, and the the. The millennial generation, they don't know how to respond to that because they were raised that their opinion was right, their opinions mattered, everything that they did was worth giving them a trophy, everything was, you know, and they never got punished, they never got, you know, reprimanded. And so when they got into the real world, and they're all in the real world now, they don't know how to react if someone disagrees with them. Right. They, they, they lose it. Say that again, Jen.
2: I feel it's still happening. I still feel that, you know, our eighteens and 20 something generation still feels that way. Well, because they're being raised by the millennials. Well,
1: hopefully, uh, I mean, some of the, the millennials are, you know, still in the early thirties and stuff. So their kids are pretty young, but, uh, you know, I, I think I really do think the, and maybe it's just my, I'm seeing it through my own lens and I'm seeing it with, uh, uh, my son's friends versus my daughter's friends. My daughter's friends just—they don't care what other people think of them. Where the millennials, they—that's all they're concerned with—is how they look, and that they're right, and that their opinions be heard. And you know, I—I've worked with so many millennials in corporate America, and I'll, I'll tell you what. I was even in a training, in a corporate training, I was told because I was a generation Xer that I had to learn to adapt to understand millennials. I had to change everything about me to be more like them. I was like, yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> it's not, you, know, you might as well fire me now because guess what? <laughs> fire me. I am not going to kiss the butt of every little whiny snowflake millennial. It's not going to happen.
3: Well, things do swing like a pendulum. And I think you're right. I think the very, the Gen Z is very different from the millennials. And, you know, not to change the subject, John, but something you were mentioning earlier about equity versus equality. Mm-hmm. When, when I was, uh, gosh, I think I was in college, I read um, Atlas oh, yeah, by Ayn Rand. Yep. And um, it just smacks of that. It's like eventually those with the skills and abilities are like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm not going to play in these, uh, these rules that you're making up anymore. You know, some of these states are finding it as they try to jack up tax rates. The rich people just leave. (laughs) Right. New
1: York is, there's a giant exodus in New York and California, both.
3: And and they're going to find, what do we do now? You know, this whole base that we were getting a 60% tax rate from, we can't get it from anymore. What are we going to do?
1: Well, they're all crying. They want the federal government to bail them out. Exactly. They want the rest of the states to to pay for their mistakes. And that's, I mean, that's insane. And that was one of the best things about the uh, Trump tax plan was before um, you could write off your state income tax, whatever you paid to your state, you could write that off of your federal income tax. So California was like, all right, well, we'll just jack our state income tax up. So all the money comes to us. Right. And then Trump was like, yeah, that's not going to work. So you can no longer write off your state income tax. And then all of a sudden, everybody in California was complaining that their taxes went up. No, they didn't. You're not, you are now you are just paying your taxes. Now they didn't go up you just can't write off your state income tax anymore, which in some parts of California is like 13 or
3: 14%. Right.
1: So the the younger crowd, especially the millennials over in California, they can't survive. They can't live in California. So they are leaving. Well, unless they want to live with their parents, they can't afford to live there. The water bill and the electric
3: super genius tech guy yeah. living in Silicon Valley. Right. Yeah. You can't afford to buy a house. No, nope. You can't afford the taxes.
1: The water bill, like in Southern California, the water bills are so expensive because they won't build any water retention in California. They won't build dams because they're worried about killing, you know, the yellow belly, you know, Sapsucker. Yeah, exactly. They're worried about the <laughs> the environment, so they won't build dams, so that they can have electric power. So they mooch all the electric power and all the water that comes out of Nevada and Arizona. It's insane. So when it rains in California, all the water just runs into the ocean. It's not retained.
3: And Rio Grande is drying up, like. Uh, so, so they're not really saving the environment. They're just displacing the problem
1: exactly
3: right look at the rio Grande. i mean i just read a story about the rio Grande
2: drying up and insanely they have no water source well they're saying
3: screw arizona and nevada Mm -hmm. we'll act like we're all you know altruistic about the environment
1: yeah and then they pass these laws that say uh if you use this much water in 2020 Uh, This is how much you're going to get next year. So if they conserve over in California, if they can conserve all their water, they're going to give, they're going to get less in 2021. So they don't conserve. Why would you? Right. Because it's going to force you to conserve the rest of your life. So they just keep taking advantage of Nevada and and, uh, mostly Arizona because it's, you know, the, uh, uh, the, um. She's the Colorado river that is filling up all of our, uh, you know, retention, yep. water retention. And they just want to keep taking it and taking it and taking it. And they don't do anything. Since, to- um, you
2: know, I'm sorry, kid. like James, I know that we want to, you know, Bob's like, uh, he's literally dying now and ready to go to bed, But, um, <laughs> yeah. I want you to think about a topic and I'm really having a struggle with this. And um, I have been doing a lot of research, but, you know, I've just been presented. I think I mentioned this on one of your shows before that, you know, I've been presented with a um, mandatory uh, flu shot and COVID mm. once it becomes available, vaccines, mm. or I lose my job. And, uh, or it, it, you know, and then I have a form where I can, you know, opt out medically or religiously. Ah. Um, you know, I've looked at my state, I've looked at, you know, different resources, you know, I've never been one to, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, uh, but I am someone who doesn't, I I believe that our bodies were created as magnificent machines and let our bodies do what it was designed to do. So I've never received a flu shot except once in my life. And, uh, I'm having an issue. So, you know, I think that, um, this we're going to be seeing this as this COVID mo- moves forward. You know, do I? I'm, I'm not wanting to say that I'm some kind of, you know, conspiracy kind of person, but you know, even Bob working for Merck and you know vaccines and knowing what he knows, he even has said, "I'm not going to be the first one to run." No, heck,
1: no, I'm not going to be the vaccine. getting paid. Yeah, I'm not going to be the game. So,
2: no way. So, you know, what are our rights, you know, as human beings and individuals? You know, where does HIPAA come into play? Where do our civil rights come into play? These, you know, these are topics that I'd like to, um, I, I'd really like to maybe expand on and see. You know, like I said, I've been researching myself. Um, there's a lot of vague information there Um where there isn't really anything definitive that I could protect myself. But that's a problem. Yeah. And again, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Uh, but it's a problem where, you know, you have Roe versus Wade, where a woman is saying, my body, my choice. Right. But yet we don't have the ability to say, "Wait a minute, my body, my choice."
1: Well, I mean, you can use the argument against them. Um, They say that babies are just nothing more than a clump of cells. So I can say, uh, you know, I I don't see other people other than I just see big clumps of cells. So,
2: well, uh here's my argument with my even own workplace. I said, "Well, you know, even as the state of Pennsylvania says, if you were to." If you refuse the flu shot, you have to wear a mask. <laughs> you have to wear a mask through flu season. Yeah. Wait a minute. Aren't I
1: doing that already? Well, my question is this.
2: Because of COVID? If, I have to do that already because right. of COVID.
1: Here's so my why question. Why are
2: you mandating me to take a flu shot when I have to wear a mask already?
1: Well, if everybody else has their flu shot, why do I need, why do I need one? If a flu shot is going to
2: stop, believe me, I'll be the first one to say, look, I'm not coming to work. If I, if I feel like I have the flu, I've never had the flu in my life. Right. You know, regardless, knock on wood.
1: No, but if, if you have the flu shot and I don't, what are you worried about? If the flu shot is so good and so it's going to stop you from getting the flu, that's why you want me to have it. So that I don't get the flu. If you have it, then why do you care if I have it? What's the difference? That's a so th- good point. You know how I- do
2: I write that down in my, you know, in my form that I have to fill out? That's <laughs> that's you know the interesting question. But this, why I pose it is because this is going to be the mandated. Oh yeah. Thing for the rest of the country. It's not just me. It's not just my state. This is going to be happening. It's already happening. It already has happened with the flu shot, with um, medical care workers. That's why I don't work in hospital anymore. When they start mandating flu shots, I understand their um, rationale behind it. I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, as an ethical nurse, I would never put my patient at risk if I felt sick to come into work. Mm-hmm. However, there's a lot of other nurses that would. I understand it. I get the concept. But to mandate it and to force me to have it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or it's my job, there, there's there got to be some kind of what is in my civil rights to protect that, and I haven't quite found it. You mm-hmm. have this book, that's the Constitution, which you keep... Um. Just tell Bob again what that book is. It's
3: it's called Our
1: Ageless Constitution.
3: Yeah. I think there's a couple points, though. And, John, you bring up a really good point. It's like if you are a patient at the office and you're not vaccinated, that's your issue. You've decided not to be vaccinated. Right. So almost every business should have the legal verbiage in their disclosures just saying hey by the way if you come into our office and you're not vaccinated you're taking it as your responsibility if you catch COVID you can't blame us you could have been vaccinated. Now that said what I understand is the rollout of vaccines is going to be phased and it's going to go to healthcare workers first Mm -hmm. to the elderly and the the most vulnerable second, and then the general population third. Yeah. So that may be a hole in the argument. If it was ubiquitously available, I think you would have the legal right to be saying, look, it's your fault if you come in here without a vaccine and you end up getting COVID.
2: But I'm the healthcare worker.
3: I'm just saying about patients who come in because that's what your company's worried about. Mm-hmm. That's what your you no, my patients,
2: all of my patients
3: are getting tested for COVID. So why would they care about you? It doesn't make that doesn't make any sense.
2: Exactly, that's the problem. But if
3: they were vaccinated, they shouldn't, you know. And if they chose not to be vaccinated, they've chosen to take that risk.
1: Well, that's exactly I've, right, and that's how it is right our, now.
3: Our the right you know I, what you
1: as far are. as locking everything down and forcing people to wear masks and all this type of crazy stuff listen if you're terrified of of getting stay sick home. then stay home exactly. you know there i mean you can staying home now with everybody locked down versus staying home if you let me go back to work it's not going to change anything in your life If I choose to go out to work and you know, and I, you know, you invite me over to the house, but you say, are you, are, you know, have you been going back to work? Yeah, I've been going back to work. Yeah. Well then you're not invited over. Fine. You know, you have to start, you have to start being able to manage your own life and your own decisions. And this comes back down to big government, small government these people on the left they want the government to control and monitor every aspect of their life i don't I don't know why I don't get it they it's really more about the government managing me right see the, yep. they want they want everyone else uh, managed by the government but they don't personally want to be managed by government they want the freedom to do whatever they want to do but they want everybody else to be managed so that they're safe. Yeah, it's like you know, we the argument could be uh, the same in the gun. You know, these Hollywood people they they don't just uh, you know stroll around town. They've got armed yeah, they guards.
3: Bodyguards. They have armed bodyguards. Right.
1: They've got armed bodyguards.
3: But they have their protections.
2: What is the American protection that what is our right that if we don't we want to receive something that we're not. You know, what's, what's our civil right about that? And I'm, and I have to say, I'm sadly, I accept, I don't, I don't know our constitution enough, but I don't believe what, from what I read, we're actually protected. I think that we are forced. If the government says we have to accept this COVID vaccine or we're not going to be allowed to go anywhere, anywhere unless we show proof of it that's my fear of the future
1: then you know what that's i'll do what
2: i believe it's gonna happen
1: if they force that on me then i will go sit in front of the congress uh, in front of the capitol in washington and starve to death on the steps <laughs> honest to god i'll just lay down
3: you would. and you know what i'd be right there with you yeah i i would bring snacks
2: yeah, Bob would bring snacks. He can't. she
1: can't starve. Can't. Yeah, but remember, they're not going to let you in the store unless you've been vaccinated. You know, so
3: yeah. Hey, John, it's been really good talking to you. I really do have to get to bed because I have a, an early meeting. But okay. uh, I just, I really appreciate the good words that you say about my wife's business. She's
0: oh, of course, extremely
3: passionate about it, and she is uh, really good at it. She makes some um, some incredible products, and she's got. That's a great nurse's mind for those patients and people who use her product.
1: Yeah. I actually, uh, real quick before you go to bed, Bob, I was actually putting my jeans on and hurt my shoulder. This is a true story because, you that know,
3: it sounds like a 49 year old. Exactly
1: <laughs> right. You can relate to that. Yeah. I, I, I tweaked my right shoulder, put my pants on. You can ask my wife, true story, but for two straight days, I put the email on for two straight days, about three times a day and boom, I didn't take a single painkiller. I just relied on the email and it fixed it. So I'm a believer.
3: When my uh, oldest was five years old, he broke his pinky riding his bike. He ran into a dumpster. He was talking to a friend, not watching where he was going and he ran into a dumpster. And the doctor told him, the doctor asked him what happened. He told him the story, and the doctor said, come up with a better story. Yeah, right. If so I didn't need to come up with a better story than putting your jeans on. You know, you were sharpening a knife or something. All right. John? Yeah, I was skinning a deer, you know. <laughs> exactly. You were dragging a buck six miles.
1: Okay, That's a way better story. I love it. <laughs> I don't hey.
3: think they have too many bucks in Al-
2: in Arizona. And I don't think he's hunting like his brother Dave. You yeah. know, you were dragging a
3: chupacabra six miles.
1: There you right? a Bigfoot.
2: Yeah,
3: <laughs> a Bigfoot. <laughs> hey, good talking to you, John.
1: Thank you. You too, Bob. God bless. Hey, Jen, I'm going to let you go too. I got to get all my editing done and get this uh, sent over to the radio Absolutely. station. So,
2: listen, you've got a package in the mail. It uh, should probably be there tomorrow, and it doesn't have everything that I would. I'd like to have had for you, but I hope that what you do get, you know, there's some samples, there's some extra things that you can share with others. And, um, you know, I am going to share with you a recent uh, review that I just received from someone, absolutely phenomenal. And it, it, I couldn't be more thankful awesome. that I'm helping this little nine-year-old out that has portable eczema. And it brings tears to my eyes. And that's oh, that's wow. why I do what I do.
1: Well, yeah, so, send that um, to me if you could.
2: Yeah, I do want to send that to you so that you share with others. Because it's not about me. It's not about my products, It's not about, you know, me making any kind of money. Because I, I really don't. <laughs> it's really only, you know, to help others. And to know that they have something else other than prescription medications and you know, yeah. just something better for them. Good so for you. So I can thank you enough for your show and for your support. And uh, we just love you and Kelly, uh, and we're going to keep supporting you guys.
1: Awesome. Same here. Right back at you.
2: All right. Well, thank you so much, and um, great to be on the show.
1: All right, Jen. You take care, and uh, we'll talk again soon, okay?
2: Oh, sounds good. All right, bye. All right, bye-bye.
1: All right, so that was Jen and Bob uh, from Grayfeather Farm, and uh, they're just a just an awesome couple. And they care about the country, and they care about you, and that's why they offer Grayfeather Farm products, like she was saying. Uh, but anyway, it is late. Uh, I'm about 35 minutes over my normal show. I appreciate you for listening. And uh, until next time, take care and God bless.